Chapter 13 of The Octave of Claudius. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Octave of Claudius by Barry Payne. Chapter 13. After breakfast on Tuesday morning, Claudius took the morning papers out into the garden and stretched himself comfortably under the mulberry tree on the lawn to glance through them. He had had a long swim in the river before breakfast, and had eaten a breakfast that would not have discredited a criminal on the morning of his execution. As he lay there in a light flannel suit, with his pipe in his mouth, and the times open before him, he felt perfectly placid and contented. The day was glorious. In a few hours he would see Angela again and be riding by her side. He was so absorbed in feeling that life was good that he could forget that for him it was so brief. He glanced up for the first time in his life over a report of the mining market. He wondered which out of the long list it was that Mr. Witcherly had been told to buy. His eye was attracted by the name martin house deep that might be it or might not possibly it was not even in that list at all he flung the paper down and picked up another he opened it casually and once more the same name caught his eye martin house deep he noted that the shares were to be bought at thirteen sixteenths he recollected at the same time that he knew personally his father's broker for a few minutes he lay back and reflected. Then he got up and walked briskly back into the hotel. He wrote a hurried note to the broker, asking him to purchase 4,000 Martin House Deep and giving the name of his banker. He sent this off at once by a messenger to town. He had never transacted any business of the kind before. He was not even clear if his note was correct and the commission would be executed, or if he had omitted any necessary formality. By the second post came a letter from Dr. Gabriel Lamb, written in a small, neat hand on thick white paper. It ran as follows. My dear Sandell, how on earth did you get the preposterous notion that I entered into our contract in a commercial spirit? and would be likely to close it for a consideration of one hundred or more percent. You really do me an injustice. Remember that you were positively reluctant to take the sum that you will fully earn. I had to satisfy my own conscience actually to insist. Should I, if I had been commercially minded, have spent eight thousand pounds on what I might have obtained with equal ease for eight hundred, or merely as a return for such poor hospitality and attention, as I was able to show you, a consideration of no value whatever except for the pleasure of your company gave us. It is a pity, of course, that you have met her. You obviously have met her, you know. Under these circumstances, I waited to reply to your letter until I had once more thought the matter over. The notion had occurred to me that you might perhaps, in the event of that stroke of luck, be able to find and purchase a substitute. 
I had to decide whether I would accept a substitute. Speaking quite frankly, any young man of a normal type would, if I could only trust him, suit me just as well as yourself. But I am afraid that I cannot trust anyone as well as I trust you. Mind, I have nothing but the word of the other party to the contract. He has but to break his word, and he can go. I have no legal hold. For the matter of that, you have only to break your word. You are not watched. I do not know whether you have left London for Gilbridge in order to be with her, or in order to avoid her. I think the former, and hope the latter. Even if I had you watched, I should have no power to compel you to come to me next Saturday at midnight, and to be mine to do as I please with. It remains with you. If you break your word, you will not come. Otherwise, only the death of one or other of us will end the contract. I need not point out again that murder or suicide would have for you, in addition to the conventional objections, the objection that either act would be dishonorable. But although I can hold out no hope to you, the enthusiasm of my work which requires you is stronger than myself. I can honestly sympathize with you. You entered into that agreement when you had no motive for living. You have now found the motive. It is possible that within the few remaining days you may have that motive strengthened. Possible even that you may find yourself in a position to offer me absurd sums to free you as you suggest. This will make you feel bitter against what the storyteller calls fate, and though unjustly, bitter against me. Believe me, my dear Sandell, the best romance is the briefest. Though I am acting in the interests of my work, and without the least regard to your own private interests, I do you a service in saving you from satiety. Come away from life while it is still giving you youth and poetry and romance and possibilities. I myself should have left it long ago had not my work detained me. It may interest you to hear that the bay mare, whose temper has daily grown more damnable, has killed the coachman. Did not you say that she would kill somebody? I have never driven her myself. My life is valuable to humanity. The coachman was not a perfect coachman, but his widow has already called twice at the house, apparently with no other motive than to tell me that he would have preferred to live, which I could have conjectured for myself, and to have hysterics on the doormat. We leave England next Sunday, and of course you with us. I've sold the house, and preparations for departure are already being made. If you happen to come across any really fine Madeira, would you let me know, or, better still, order twelve dozen to be packed for shipping and sent to me here? I have nearly finished my own wine, and my wine merchant seems to think that I will buy disease and disappointment at a hundred and twenty the dozen. This is quite above the current market quotation for such commodities, as I have explained to him. I would pay double that to get exactly the wine I want. 
by the way there is no earthly likelihood of your finding anything of the kind but i thought i would mention it on the barest of chances as you have a palate and understand my taste if my wife were in the room i'm sure she would join me in sending kind regards her health is at present a subject for the gravest anxiety au plaisir cordially yours gabriel lamb claudius read this letter through twice and put it in his pocket he walked up and down thinking about it certain phrases in it haunted him his suspicions of the doctor came back again came back with more force and would not be dispelled he had strange and horrible fears for the future before him he could not put them from him till he was cantering over the turf with angela beside him angela was not a very experienced horsewoman but she was not nervous a child would have been safe with the mare she was riding perfectly made and as kind and easy as possible in the exhilaration of the ride and the presence of angela the worst could be easily forgotten from the heath their way led through a gate into a grassy lane with high hedges on either side as they approached the gate at a walking pace two youths humorous louts apparently shut the gate latched it and then ran off laughing down the lane please wait here a moment said claudius to angela quietly he wheeled his horse round and then put it at the gate over he went and down the lane after those louts he returned in a minute literally driving them before him with a pleasant smile on his face men who smile pleasantly when they have lost their temper are mostly dangerous possibly the two louts knew this their choice lay between going back to the gate being ridden down and pulling claudius off his horse they decided to go back to the gate open it said claudius curtly and hold it open until we're through it was only a joke said one of them rather sheepishly as he pulled the gate back so's this replied claudius don't let it go any further than that claudius rode up to angela laughing and returned through the gate with her his fit of temper had completely vanished he flung a coin to the youths as they passed to show them that their civility will pay them better than their humor he explained that was rather pretty said angela and rather silly i'm afraid said claudius i don't know exactly why but i feel a little like a circus writer in consequence i expected a bad brass band to begin as i came down the lane and was rather disappointed that it didn't oh no angela answered you were in a very bad temper many a poor child has had its pudding and its pocket money cut off for less leave me my pudding and i will apologize i've got the nastiest possible temper myself i can't pretend to believe it said claudius you ask too much but look here we are at the inn mrs wycherley had not yet arrived angela said that she would order tea while claudius saw that the horses were properly looked after they met in the garden of the inn a picturesque garden dotted about with tables and chairs and arbors have you ordered a very good tea well said angela i've done my best the place looked so tumbled down and old and out of the world that i had great expectations of it 
I hoped that there would be a surly landlord who would say that he never had been asked for tea and wouldn't give us it. Then I should have persuaded him and bribed him and helped to cut the bread and butter, and gradually he would have got to like us. It's not impossible, said Claudius, but the place is different, spoiled by the patronage of the tripper, ruined by civilization. I gave my orders to a trim little person in a clean London apron with a lot of nasty little hotel ways. And there was a tariff, mark you, Mr. Sandell, a horrible fixed tariff with three kinds of tea on it, plain tea, tea with eggs, and tea with meat. Tea with meat would be extravagant and ostentatious. If you have ordered that, I refuse to pay for my share, or to countenance it in any way except by eating it. But I didn't. Neither did I order the plain tea because it sounded dull, and also because I thought it would make the trim person think that we were not wealthy. I went in for the golden mean, which takes the form of eggs. And where are we going to have the golden mean? Out here in the garden. I insisted on honey and cream. I prayed the trim person, if only for a few hours, to be as pastoral and unsophisticated as possible. And she said, oh, you'll find us quite punctual. So possibly she hasn't caught the spirit of the thing. Possibly not. Why this hunger and thirst after pastorality? Because I'm in the country, she said impetuously, because all of a sudden I hate horrible, vulgar, complex, social, dirty, striving, mean London life. It has made me so bad, and I want to be better again. Oh, I'm much more in earnest than you think. Really, really I am. It's been coming upon me lately, and quite suddenly I know it. I'm a changed girl. There was a whimsical smile on her face, but her eyes were serious and looking out for sympathy. Yes, tell me all about it. It would be a heavenly thing to confess everything. You confessed to me a little, didn't you, at our house the other night? I haven't been criminal in spots. No murders or burglaries or things of that kind. I've only been mildly always and altogether wrong. I believe I would have been good if the world and circumstances had not spoiled me. I was very vulgar in one way and very angry with anybody who was very vulgar in the other way. I didn't know the right value of things. I ran after straws that were worth nothing. I see now that nothing's more vulgar than to think much about vulgarity and to use the word. This is subtle. Subtle? Ah, believe me, I'm fairly crying for simplicity. If I could get work as a dairymaid, not the stage dairymaid, but the real thing, I might save my soul alive. As it is, I... She made a movement with her hands to her throat. I'm choked in London. It's all one game of brag. Silly, undignified brag. I've played at it, loathed it, and gone on playing it. Everyone tries for an effect, and most of them miss it, and are laughed at for their failure. And those who get it find that it is not worth getting. 
one manages and schemes and does humiliating things to secure what less than the fluff of that seeding dandelion is this all quite serious yes if you like it is the cynicism of extreme youth and therefore counts for nothing but it's not assumed at any rate i'm being very honest this afternoon with the arrival of mrs wycherley and tea angela suddenly changed her tone she was no longer mournful her eyes brightened her talk was full of the brightest and maddest raillery but as claudius and she rode back again she as suddenly became very quiet they had ridden for some time side by side without a word when angela raised her head and said mr sandell what are you thinking about i had the presumption to be thinking about you what are you thinking about me that you have as many moods as an april day do you mind i would have nothing altered you enter into all my moods when i am in good spirits you are in good spirits too how can you do it with the end so near for you i think i shall ask you to tell me the rest of your story very soon i have not forgotten it there was a pause and then she added i am in a sad mood now their eyes met and she read the sympathy that he did not speak he found himself wishing that the ride might last for ever on and on in a perpetual quiet summer afternoon he desired nothing better than the strange exultation that he felt just now the ride lasted exactly until half-past six angela praised jenny the mare that she had been riding she thanked claudius you must ride her again if you like her said claudius she's an adorable beauty and too good for me perhaps and thank you again mr sandell good-bye even as he left her he knew that he was to see her again that night he felt sure of it after dinner he strolled out onto the heath it was growing dark and the twilight was cool and fascinating he was not surprised to see her standing silhouetted against the sky a slender gray figure nor did she seem surprised as she turned and saw him are you not afraid to be out alone no no thank you when we are in the country i often do this mamma writes one letter and then goes to bed early and i if i'm restless walk on till i'm tired see i have my own key would you rather be by yourself mrs wycherley or may i if you would walk with me and tell me the rest now the rest of the story he began at once he told the story as briefly as possible wasting no word on apologies for telling it he told how an outcast from his own home a failure in the work he had attempted with no tie to life and no motive for living worn out by privations and disappointment he had been found by dr gabriel lamb he dwelt at length on the kindness of the doctor and his wife and tried to indicate the character of the man he described how the agreement came to be made and told the precise terms of it thank you for telling me she said quietly when he had finished it's worse than i had feared 
if there's no other way can he not be bought i thought of that only yesterday i wrote and asked him early this morning i ventured on a mining speculation your father had spoken of such things the night before i do not care in the least for gambling of any kind it doesn't amuse me i know nothing whatever of the shares i have bought except their name and present price i somehow felt sure it was a silly presentiment but a strong one that i was right and that i should make a profit large enough to buy my release i had hardly sent off the order to the broker before the second post came in the doctor refuses to cancel the agreement for any money consideration whatever i believe that he really does not care for money in the least or for anything very much except his work is the name of the mine martin house deep yes why how do you know because as we were coming here yesterday papa asked me jokingly if i should like him to make a fortune he said he could make one in less than a week by buying martin house deep but that he wouldn't do it because it was outside his legitimate business as you were speaking the name flashed into my memory again wait there's another thing i want to ask you will you let me see the manuscript of your novel i would but i've sent it off to another publisher why why she exclaimed impatiently did you not do that before the agreement the book had been refused twice and i was quite hopeless about it but if i had known the agreement was coming i think i should have tried again first i did not know it came suddenly time was apparently of great importance to the doctor and he would not have waited for the publisher's decision then i was under great obligations to him he had saved my life clothed me fed me treated me with the most delicate kindness and perfect trust by accepting i repaid him if i refused i saw nothing before me it is too soon to say yet but if everything came now now in these few days now when it's too late that would be terrible do not be angry with me mr sandell for what i'm going to say you tell me that the doctor has no legal hold on you i think he has no moral hold that he is not acting in good faith have you thought of the possibility of breaking your word i am not angry with you said claudius with a dreary smile i'm no better than other men and i've thought of it if i did it i dare say for a few days i should feel nothing but relief freedom pleasure the other thing would come though i should feel that i had broken my promise betrayed a man who trusted me i should feel that i had done it through cowardice it would not be possible to live like that perhaps it would be easier to break my word if he had a legal hold upon me if i ran the least risk in breaking it if it were not mere cowardice yes yes i see said angela i had not guessed what the story would be and very often when i had been laughing and generally silly you must have hated it and thought me unsympathetic you know when you were at your house i gave you my sympathy and i meant it 
only i did not know that it was quite so horrible or quite so hopeless then or so sometimes ah do not alter let me be happy for the little time that is left angela laughed a little mirthless laugh i feel she said as if i had been playing the fool at a funeral no no if you must reproach any one reproach me for having done a reckless and suicidal thing and for having distressed you by telling you about it i've told no one else i wanted you to tell me about it i would not have that different will you please let me go home alone mr sandell now please good night her small cold hand touched his a moment and she had turned and gone as he stood still watching her as she walked away he heard through the still night a faint sound and knew that she was sobbing he went back to the hotel cursing himself for all he told her cursing that excellent lady verrider for her well-meant advice that had led him to do it he spent a wretched and sleepless night in the letter which mrs wycherley wrote to her husband she said angela has gone for one of her favorite evening strolls just after dinner but the young never think of these things a good daughter she always was but really she improves never corrects me now if i do or say anything that isn't quite as it should be less strict she seems to be and fonder we have much to be thankful for not one touch or one twinge since i've been here country air and plain food account for it the cooking is good here with the exception of the gravies no richness or strength in them but i've not spoken about it yet End of chapter 13 Recording by John Brandon